time of despair and in our time of discouragement and our time of loss is when Jesus ushers in His sweet Spirit and He starts to minister to us. And then we start to see God in His glory. And those are the times when you go to a funeral and you realize that in that dark hour, in that time of grief and mourning, that Jesus Christ is there to lift you up. And to give hope for people that have never heard the gospel message and don't even understand truly who Jesus Christ is. There is life with Jesus Christ. And if you do not know Him, I encourage you to know Him today. This morning, as we continue in our series on sowing seed, I just want to talk about restore our fire and passion for souls. And as we move into it and you turn in your Bibles to Psalms 126, verses 1 through 6, children, you are dismissed to head down to Children's Chapel. Psalms 126, verses 1 through 6. We notice here that at first glance, the setting of this psalm appears to be the return from Babylonian exile. They were in captivity. They lost their focus. And yet God is still speaking. And the psalmist here encourages them. You were in a state of a backslidden spirit or a backslidden state. And yet God comes in and challenges mankind. The people of God were not happy campers, to say the least, in Psalms 126. Ask the question, why did this happen? Why? Because the people were unfaithful to God. Backsliders. Backsliders. We ask the question, what is a backslider? Somebody that rolls down a hill. Is that what it is? It's a guy that actually had a relationship and a fellowship. God Almighty or with Jesus Christ and then decides to, in, in, in a time of discouragement or despair, depression, falling away from that fellowship with God Almighty. And maybe this morning if you're here, maybe you're in that position where at one time you were walking with the Lord and, and your spirit was sweet and your fellowship was sweet. And now you said, Lord, there's just this void, this emptiness. And God, I need you more today than I've ever needed you. Psalms 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them to dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, they said unto the Gentiles or the nations, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Verse 5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. You know, Hannah, when you made the comment about the souls that came to know Jesus Christ, in a time where people were weeping, and I'm sure there was... Some tears that were shed there. Loss is not easy. Brother Tom laid his brother to rest this week. Death is not easy. But it's during that time that we reap in joy. 
especially when we see those that are lost come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Verse 6, it's the benediction, He that goeth forth, he that goes to and fro, and weepeth, bearing a precious seed, a bag of seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, or with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. What does God think of backsliders? He loves them just like He loves everyone else. What does He do for them? He disciplines them just like He did His people in the Old Testament when they backslid. God disciplines His people for their good. We may not like His form of discipline, but it's for our good and it was for the ultimate good of the people. Well, people who are supposed to know God, love Him and serve Him, but turn away from Him, they lose in every way. They may even lose their material blessings, their fortunes, etc. God can take away from people whatever He wants in order to correct them. Do you as a parent, as a father or a mother, have the power within your hand to correct your child? Show me by a raise of hand. We've all been there. We have that, don't we? So why would we think any less of God who has the power and who wants to chastise us and keep us focused on Him? We're here on this earth to build the kingdom of heaven. See souls saved, see lives changed. That is our responsibility to God. Listen closely. John Charles Ryle wrote, It is a miserable thing to be a backslider. Of all unhappy things that can befall a man, I suppose backsliding is the worst. A stranded ship, a broken-winged eagle, a garden overrun with weeds, a harp without strings, a church in ruins. All these are sad sights, but a backslider is a sadder sight still. That true grace shall never be extinguished. And true union with Christ never be broken off. I feel no doubt. But I do believe that a man may fall away so far that he shall lose sight of his own grace. This may have been something of what people of God went through in their captivity. And I love this psalm as a song of their return to the Lord and what they asked of Him. Here's what they asked when you look at verse 1. He said, Restore our fortunes. Oh, Lord, even in our own backslidden ways, we are blessed regardless of whether we have a fortune or not. However, I do believe that when we come to God or come back to God, he is willing to bless us in ways we never thought possible. Job, he put his faith and trust in God and God gave him double for his trouble. God blessed him. He never lost sight of what God was doing in his life. It says there, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. It says when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. The meaning is, it seemed like a dream. We could hardly believe it. It was so marvelous, so good, and so full of joy that we could scarcely believe it was real. When people turn to God or back to God, He will bless them. 
Many of us can say in this room, and maybe attest to the day you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and your journey now is over here, and you're saying to yourself, you know what, I've seen some ups and downs, some twists and turns, some bumps in the road, some hurdles I've had to jump over. But either way, you've stayed faithful and consistent to seeking out the will of God, or if you've taken a detour and went down another way, now you're in a place where you said, I'm glad I've come back, but I've seen the hand of God in my life. We shared them with Ron Jr. yesterday just how awesome it is to be in the center of God's will. Just to know that being in the center of His will really makes a huge difference. Because when you go to Him in prayer, when you go to Him and you're in the Word, and you're having fellowship with Him, there's nothing greater to know that God is with you and He hears you. And He understands your journey, what you're going through. I was uh, at one of our accounts, and for some that don't know, we own a janitorial custodial company and have for 19 years. And praise the Lord, that's what God has allowed us when we started the church for it to be the automobile that helped uh, you know, us to be able to pastor and, and plant a seed and plant a church. And so I'm thankful for the toilets and the floors we've been able to clean and mop. People say, you know, it's so amazing. I, this past week I was at an account and a man looked at me and said, you're a pastor? A janitor? A pastor? Well, Jesus was a carpenter. He was, he was busy doing His work for His Father. And I love cleaning. I'll tell you. It doesn't bother me. It's a great way to minister. Last week, even one of the gentlemen, they, they made an obscenity, and one of them said, oh, Don't say that. Pastor Todd's present. I'm not their pastor. But I hope that we're a light for people. And I know that as I was at one of my accounts as I started this story, I, I was standing there one evening and I said, I don't like this account anymore. I've been doing it for five years. They're a nightmare. I just don't like them. They're, they're unfriendly people. And, uh, you know, hiring people and, and making sure they're on that account is very difficult. But, uh, you know, are they always doing the job? Are they there when they're supposed to be there? So on and so forth. And so uh, I said to God, can we talk? So I leaned on a filing cabinet. And he said, sure. Because remember, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He was there ready for the conversation. So as I was cleaning and took a break, leaned up against that filing cabinet, I said, God, I'm busy. The ministry is exciting. And it's fun. But Lord, I just can't be cleaning like this every night. That's when I study. And you know that. That's when I'm reading. You know that. That's when I'm praying. You know that. That's when I'm laying in bed next to my beautiful wife. He knows that. And I kept thinking, man, I'm on until one thirty in the morning. Even Beth said, that's way too late. I don't want to do it. It's a big job, wasn't it? And uh, we understand. And so what God did is he said, I'm just going to give you a couple accounts. So we talked about it within a week. He gave me what we profited in that one account. And I'll have to go once a week. Thursday night. And Friday. And God knows. He knows our needs. The Bible says, my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. I say that to say, if you don't fear God, you ought to. Because He's the provider. 
He knows exactly where you're at and what you're doing in your life. And He knows your heart. I didn't say that in in an attitude of bragging. I said it in an attitude to say, thank you, God, for always revealing yourself to me in a real, relevant way. When the Lord restored, it was marvelous. They were full of joy. Those who sow in tears will reap the songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying their sheaves with them. These verses may actually deal with the blessing of good results in their farming, but it can also be applied to Christian work today. We are supposed to sow gospel seed according to what? The Great Commission found in Matthew. Our tears can be seeds that will grow into a harvest of joy because God is able to bring good out of tragedy, which we heard from the testimony. God's great harvest of joy is coming. And it appears that God will bless us as we bless others with his message, with the gospel. And this morning, I want to give you four points. They won't be long. But one, the going of the servant two, the flowing of the tears, three, the sowing of the seed and four, the mowing of the harvest. I love that they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. To see people come to Jesus Christ is one of the greatest gifts anyone could receive. We don't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ just because it's our religious responsibility. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ is because it is expected of us and was commanded of us as he descended and ascended into heaven. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, grateful that, Lord, your hand is always upon us and that your son, Jesus Christ, went to the cross and he died for us. Thank you, Father, that as we look into your scriptures, we can understand the true concern for a soul, for sowing seed. God, when we see people run to an altar. Or, Father, we see people that no matter where we're at, maybe at the workplace or at school, and someone bows their head and accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the time when, Father, that joy fills up our heart and our life. So, Father, may we understand truly what it's like just to win somebody to Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us in our backslidden state. And Lord, bring us back to a renewed state as we walk with you. In your name we pray. Speak through me this morning. Amen. The going of the servant. Verse 5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap songs of joy. Did you ever hear of P.H. Wilshimer of Canton, Ohio? Anybody know that name? Luke, you'll appreciate this. I found this information. Wilshimer accepted a call from the First Christian Church of Canton, Ohio. 
On January 1st, 1902, he stayed at this church for the rest of his life, 56 years before his death on August 16th, 1957. Under Wilsheimer's guidance, the Canton congregation became one of the largest churches in the U.S. and the largest Christian church in the country. Wilsheimer himself published a number of books, sermons and articles, as well as gospel tracts. I believe it was P.H. Wilsheimer who said one time, if we want them coming down the aisle, then we must go down the street. If we want them coming down the aisle, then we must go down the street. The going must be done somehow. Matthew 4, 18 through 20 says, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. Who were they? Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said unto them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. You see, I think sometimes we fail to realize just how important the going is. You catch no fish unless you what? Go fishing. Fish don't come to you. You have to go to them if you're going to catch them. My cousin Ed right now is in, and my brother Gary, they're down in Charlotte, somewhere 60 miles out in the water. And I always say to Ed, how do you know where you're going and how you're going to catch all those fish? He said, because of this device when we were in his big, huge yacht, fishing monstrosity boat. And he said, this thing tells us right where the fish are at. Wouldn't it be great if we had a device like that just to know those that are, that are lost that we could go to them and tell them how much we love them and that God loves them even more and give them the gospel of Jesus Christ? We must go if we're going to catch them. Could this be our problem? How do we go? 30 more years ago, we might do door to door, knocking on doors. Inviting people to church. And occasionally it would work, but apparently doesn't work as well today. For one thing, many people have been turned off by door knockers selling religion and many other things. Come on, admit it. How many of you have cringed when you see somebody walk up your sidewalk? You know what I've started doing? Well, I could tell you story after story about people. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and anybody else that decides to stop by the house, I'm like, you came to my house, I didn't come to yours, so now you get to stand here and listen to my story. <laughs> I'll never forget the one time there was uh, a Jehovah Witness. They came by and, and they said, young man, I have a question for you. And I said, well, what is that? You know, don't you find it hard? And this was when I was uh, a young man many years ago. ago but uh, don't you find it very difficult that, you know, so much stress and pressure as a teenager, I said, stress and pressure as a teenager, I said, Jesus Christ is who I serve. He lives in my heart. Now, first of all, would you expect a 17 or 18 year old to say that? Never. So I said, so I'm going to ask you a question. If you were to die today, are you 100 percent sure that you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? The three women looked at me. And they weren't saying anything. I said, because I want to tell you a little bit about him. You know, he went to the cross. He died for us. And you realize that even in John, it says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. I said, I want to quote a verse to you. 
Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Are you saved? They stared at me like deer in headlights. Isaiah 55, I quoted and I'll quote it again today when we turn to it. His word will never come back void. It'll prosper. When you throw out seed, it's going to prosper. When they come to the door, it's time to throw out the bait. It's time to go fishing. One man said, when they come to the door, I'm like, I don't have time for it. They start screaming at him. Use that opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, doing these messages on seed, it helps me just to go back and to reflect upon years of soul winning and door knocking. And boy, do we need to get back to it. And I know I put that in here. You know, people are used to inviting people to church and going to door knocking. And today we have all of these promotions and, you know, get them to come to church. Fill the pew Sunday. No excuse Sunday. We do that because we want people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ought to. That's our responsibility as a Christian. I think the greatest way of going with the gospel message is to be open to the people around us. Especially those who have problems for one reason or another. These are the people who are more open to the gospel. They are hurting and help. And we know that the help they need is the Lord. The Bible says, come out from among them and be separate says the Lord. How many of you guys have seen this? And and I don't know what I think about it. But I hope they're presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. On tap with Jesus in Stowe, Ohio. See at the bar. How many of you have seen that on Facebook? Yeah, there's a church that's out in Stowe and they're actually going to the bar and saying, have a drink with us and we'll present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to be a stumbling block in anybody's life. And I certainly do not want to have a Bible study at ONTAP. But I will tell you this. I can appreciate that they're going fishing. But I have to also say, if the Bible is true as what it says, old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. We can't continue to go traffic that area i'll tell you a story here shortly but i want you to notice in first peter three fifteen it says but sanctify the lord god in your hearts but sanctify the lord god in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with what with meekness and with fear with gentleness and respect let others see jesus christ in your life The going is a matter of being open to the people around us. Do they have a need? Do they need Christ? Be quick to listen and then share Christ who can turn their life around. Bring forgiveness or anything else that you can offer for them. We're here today, church. Listen. We're here because we want to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we as a church are not planting and sowing seeds, we'll never reap a harvest. You'll never see, I'm getting caught on my pocket here, you'll never see the joy 
of people getting saved. We heard last week when we talked about in the Gospels, 30, 60, and 100 fold. There's nothing greater to me than seeing somebody come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Who was the last person that you shared your God story with? Who was the last person that you wept over because you didn't want them to go to hell? A real place made for Satan and his demons and those that do not know Jesus Christ. It is the gospel message. Number two, we go to the flowing of the tears. Verse 5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth weeping. R.A. Torrey wrote, One of the mightiest soul winners I ever knew was Colonel Clark of Chicago. He would work at his business six days every week, and every night in the week, in the week, the year round, five or six hundred men would gather together in that mission hall. He said it was a motley crowd drunkards, thieves, pickpockets, gamblers, and everyone who was hopeless. I used to go and hear Colonel Clark talk, and he seemed to me one of the dullest talkers I have ever heard in my life. He would just ramble along. And yet these five or six hundred men would lean over and listen spellbound while Colonel Clark talked. You see, some of the greatest preachers in Chicago used to go down to help Colonel Clark, but the men would not listen to them as they did to Colonel Clark. When he was speaking, literally, they would lean over and listen and be converted by the score. He said, R.A. Tori, I couldn't understand it. I studied it and wondered, what was the secret? What was his secret? Why did these men listen with such interest? And why were they so greatly moved by such boring talking? I found the secret. It was because they knew that Colonel Clark loved them. And nothing conquers like love. The tears were very near the surface with Colonel Clark. And once in the early days of the mission, when he had been weeping a great deal over these men, he got ashamed of his tears. He stilled his heart and tried to stop his crying and succeeded. But here's what happened. He lost his power. He saw that his power was gone and he went to God and prayed, Oh God, give me back my tears. And God gave him back his tears and gave him wonderful power, marvelous power over these men. Give me back my tears. Could this be our problem? Have we no tears for the lost people? Like what Jeremiah 9 once says, we ought to cry out like Jeremiah. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. When was the last time that you wept over somebody that was lost? When was the last time that you shed a tear because you saw somebody that didn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? You know the difference between a sermon like this and any other sermon I might preach? Most of them are internal. This message is external. It's thinking of other people instead of yourself. Jesus Christ didn't say, you know, this is going to be a great journey as I go up that Via Dolorosa. I'm going to kick back and beat to death. 
go to the cross, take the crown of thorns, be spit upon. No, I'm doing it to give people life. He knew he had to fulfill his father's will. Are we doing that in our life? Are we so self-consumed? Little old 85-year-old woman, Mrs. Insinger, never forget it as long as I live. I'm 15 years old, just a young man, and I'm ashamed of myself because I feel like my soul winning has turned in another direction. I don't care where I went or what I did. People were getting tracks and they were hearing the gospel. I don't care if you were standing at a store in a stall next to me. I'm yelling over the stall, telling you about Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter. I remember that little old lady. She had the curvature of the spine. She'd walk to the door. And I remember thinking to myself, how can I win this little old lady to Jesus Christ? She's right next to the Congregational Church in Edinburgh, Ohio, but she doesn't know Jesus Christ. So I said one day to her, I said, can I help you? Do you need any help, Mrs. Insinger? And she said, well, yes, I do. So I went in and helped her around the house, and I started building that relationship with her as a teenage boy. Don't you wish we could just run around like we used to back in the day? It's scary you could just tell your teenage kids, go see you tonight at dinner. You know, we, it's so sad that today we, we have to be so guarded. But as I'm there, I looked at her one day and I said, Miss Ensinger, can I ask you a question? And she says, what's that, honey? And I said, if the Lord were to take you today, do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? She looked at me as honest as she could and said, nope, I don't. I said, so you're 84 years old and I'm 15 years old and you've never asked Jesus into your heart? She said, no. I said, can I pray with you? And I'll never forget, I can picture it as if it were yesterday. I had this Bible and I, I pulled it out last night because this is my little soul winning Bible. And I love it. When I was down at Bearing Precious Seed doing my apprenticeship for Bible college, this is a New Testament. And I remember pulling out this Bible and, and I'm going to help some of you that uh, may say, well, I don't carry a little New Testament with me or something that's small so people can see, but you can always add notes to the back of it. So I didn't have them memorized. As you can see, I've taped it and I've kept it for 25 years, 30 years. But uh, questions like, is there a God? Is the Bible true? Can I be good? I remember being in Wyndham one time and somebody asked me a question. I had to reference this. And still to this day, I, I love this little Bible. It's led a lot of people to Jesus Christ just by opening up the GPS to their eternity. And so I opened it up and I said, Mrs. Insinger, and as I go through the Bible, I have everything highlighted. And I said, this is what Jesus did for you. And I could still remember, and it even moves me today, that as I opened up the Bible, it wasn't Todd's words, it was God's words, that I remember as a teenage boy after she was done just crying. And she said, Todd, why are you crying? I said, because this brings me joy to know that you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What is it we're here about? If we can't cry over someone, what kind of Christian are we? We need to weep over people. We need to understand the value and the importance of people that are dying and going to hell. Number three, the sowing of the seed. It says in verse 6, he that goes forth, bearing precious seed, 
carrying the seed. What do we learn that the word was? I mean, that the seed was the word. I answered it for you. A seed taken from a 1600 year old rattle necklace in South America has germinated and grown into a plant. The seed germinated in 1968 and grew to six feet and flowered. But we have older seeds than this, and it still bears fruit. That's the word of God. His minister considered Charles G. Finney a hardened case. At 29 years of age, he was a rising young lawyer who had never owned a Bible. Later, he added, one to the reference books in his law library. Then, gradually, the Bible replaced his interest in Blackstone and the statues of New York. His heart was changed, and he said farewell to his clients with the announcements that he had a retainer from the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his cause. And plead it, he did in America. And the British Isles, to the lasting benefit of the multitudes, this lawyer turned evangelist, who was permanently retained by Jesus Christ, founded the Broadway Tabernacle in New York City. He became the second president of Oberlin College and urged the claims of the gospel upon more hearers than any other man of his generation. It happened because a reference book, the Bible, somehow got into Charles G. Finney's heart. And we won't even carry it to church. We're so the turn of the century, a new generation, wow, church, that we have to go where we can be ooed and awed. Instead of saying, this is what we should be ooing and on over. It's the sweet savor of His Word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Some time ago, a man took his worn New Testament to a bookbinder to bind it with a fine Morocco leather cover and to print the New Testament on the edge in gold leaf letters. At the appointed time, he returned to find his New Testament beautifully bound. And as I was thinking of this, I thought about my Bible. I have a uh, Bible that I used for a lot of years. I've been carrying this for a good 20 years, but my other Bible that I used as a teenager, my, it was so tattered and torn and beat up and I was heartbroken. And that's when I finally pulled this out. This was from uh, my Bible college days. And so I pulled this out and I said, oh, this is going to be great to use. And I had an old Thompson chain reference. I mean, that cover was so tattered. I didn't want my Bible to get ruined because of all of the notes and so forth that I put in it. My wife surprised me one time and had a new binding put on it. You know, and so now I'm so used to using this that I never went back to that. But, uh, but this story reminded me of that. The book binder had one apology for this man. And here's what he said. I did not have small enough type in my shop to print out fully the words on the edge. So here's what I did, sir. I abbreviated them. Looking on the edge of his book, the man saw T-N-T. The powerful chemical explosive. Dynamite. And it's true. The Word of God is God's dynamite to get to the heart of man and to change him. Isn't that amazing? Never looked at it that way. So I'm going to start throwing it. This thing start blowing up, right? If you would, please turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. 
bearing precious seed, carrying the seed, telling people about the seed, living our life out because we're not embarrassed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love his word. We live out his word. We demonstrate his word. And we want people to know that we're not ashamed of his word. It says there in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? Power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, turn back into your Old Testament to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, I'm going to read verses 10 through 12. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. I always love that because I always think when it says void, it shall not return unto me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For you shall go out with what? Joy, and be led forth with peace. The mountains of the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And that moves me on to our last point. The moving of the harvest. The latter part back in Psalms 126 says, shall come again with rejoicing, with shouts of joy, carrying sheaves with him. I, I, I think of the years of soul winning. And I'm going to ask you a question. Have you led someone to Jesus Christ? Do you know how to lead someone to Jesus Christ? When we say the word Romans Road, are you familiar with what the Romans Road is? And it's very simple. As we present the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody. Don't you love when you walk away and you look at someone and go, oh wow, they have Jesus in their life. Isn't it awesome? You know, people laugh and because I always shout, glory! You know, hey, it's, I love it. I have joy in my heart. Why, why would I shout, oh no! <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. We should be excited about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. When we lead people to Christ, we said last week we could take tracks and we could throw them out. We should have a fire that burns within us and a passion that lets people know that they need to turn from the sin in their life and then come to know Jesus Christ. To turn from the wicked things of their earthly life. I can't help but get excited. It makes me want to sing zippity doo Don. Shout. You're right. You're supposed to say it louder. Glory. There it is. We're supposed to, that's right, we're supposed to be excited about the gospel message. If we don't have a fire, then we ask God, as it says up here, to restore our fire and our passion for souls. To go out there to do it with joy so that we can see people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But you said to me, well, Pastor, I don't know. So it's easy like this. If I were to demonstrate leading someone to Christ, it's very simple. You ask a couple questions. If you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? 
Two, here's another question. Hi, I have a friend. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? They'll say yes or no. Then you proceed to say, well, can I show you just how much my God loves me and what he did for me? And then you just quote John 3.16. Or you open up the Bible. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we start taking them through the Romans road. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all of sin it comes short of the glory of God. Then we flip over to Romans 5.8. God commend, he commended his love toward us, and yet I'm a sinner. He died for me. Do you know what that means? Let me explain to you. Did you ever take some from the cookie jar? Mom says, were you in that Oreo cookie jar? And she looks at you and says, and you look at her and say, no, I wasn't, but you've got like black chocolate stuff in your teeth. That's a sin. You just lied. Oh, okay, I get it. I understand it's sin. Yes, I'm a sinner. Most people I've never in my life ever heard them say, no, I'm actually perfect. Nobody's ever said that. The reality is, now let me tell you about the one who went and died on the cross for you. Some of you are going, but pastor, I've heard this. This is so boring. This is redundant. Well, if it is, then why aren't you sowing seed? If it is, why aren't you bringing in the sheaves? Because we have forgotten the importance of presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of stopping someone in a store. You know, when you feel led of the Holy Spirit, it's not by mistake or accident. It's God saying, talk to them right now. If you're their only message, you're the only one who's going to demonstrate that for them. You're the only one that's going to say something to them. Nobody else is. So if he says to you, do it. Don't sit there and find go, I'm not going to do it. Yes, you are. I'm not going to do it. Yes, you are. Just do it. And let people know just how much God loves them. My journey in life has been phenomenal. We have two choices, heaven or hell. That's all we have. And if you're not going out there to sow seed and to see a harvest from it, examine your heart. Man, get in your Bible. Find a book that, ladies, you can stick in your, find a Bible or New Testament, stick it in your purse so you can open it up and show somebody. Let people know there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb, in the book, the greatest book ever sold, the Bible. That should get all of us excited and start revival in our hearts. For over 30 years, the Salvation Army and William Booth in particular were subject to some of the most vile persecutions that Christians suffered, suffered in modern times. But the general lived to see the day his army would be honored around the world. His own King Edward VII invited him to Buckingham Palace back in 1904. All the persecution and trials of the previous decades must have seemed insignificant to Booth as he heard King Edward say, You are doing a good work. A great work, General Booth. When the king asked Booth to write in his autograph album, the old man, now 75, bent forward, took the pen, and summed up his life work. Your Majesty, some men's ambition is art. Some men's ambition is fame. Some men's ambition is gold. You are doing a good work. But my ambition 
It's the souls of men. That's it. And that should be, must be our ambition as well, whether we preach it or not. Booth's ambition was God's heart. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. As we close, I'm not going to be redundant and keep going over the importance of sowing seed because as I get back from the conference, I want to discuss the maturity of our life as the seed takes root and starts to grow, is there fruit from our life? As I leave to go to the conference, people will say to me, you know, there's pastors conferences around the world. Did you go to Moody Bible Institute? I said, no, I didn't. But I love that as I get to go there, it's an evangelical free. You see a bunch of people that all have the same common goal. We're all there to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and to see souls saved and lives changed. D.L. Moody, because he planted a seed, made a difference to all of us. WCRF, even to this day, is still communicating and broadcasting a wonderful message around the world. Edward Kimball, Dwight L. Moody's first Sunday school teacher, said, The first meeting I ever saw him was in a little old shanty that had been abandoned by a saloon keeper. Moody had got the place to hold the meetings in at night. I went there a little late, and the first thing I saw was a man standing up with a few candles around him, holding a black boy and trying to read to him the story of the prodigal son and a great many words he could not read out, he had to skip. I thought, if the Lord can ever use such an instrument... As that for his honor and glory, it will astonish me. As a result of his tireless labor, within a year, the average attendance at his school was 650. And 60 volunteers from various churches served as teachers. It became so well known that the just-elect President Lincoln visited and spoke at a Sunday school meeting on November 25, 1860. It was while on a trip to England in the spring of 1872 that he became well-known as an evangelist. Some have claimed him one as the greatest evangelist of the 19th century. On several occasions, he filled stadiums of 2,000 to 4,000 in capacity. In the Botanic Garden Palace, a meeting had been between 15,000 and 30,000 people. When he returned to the United States, crowds of 12,000 to 20,000 were just as common as in England. Moody believed in preaching the gospel of Christ and sowing the seeds, and look what happened. Hmm. We would call it amazing. We might have called it amazing grace. And the gospel seed still convicts the hearts and converts people to Christ. Two thousand men of God come together to be encouraged so that they can then turn around and take the tools that they were taught 
or learned, and then do what? Start spreading seed. Seeing souls saved and lives changed. Let's not just leave it up to the responsibility of the pastor. Can we as a community of believers go out and start spreading the gospel? Can we start inviting people? I was asked before church from a man in this congregation, can you please pray with me as we pray for my lost friend in California? And as I stop and think of this man, I think, how can I get to him? What can I do to help you to lead this man to Jesus Christ? Is there a price on a soul? Was there a price on your soul? It cost Jesus Christ his life. We may not be doing the work like we should, but we must keep on. Keeping on as best we can. The harvest will come if we sow the seed. More than praying, Lord, restore our fortunes. It seems that we need to pray, Lord, restore our fire and our passion for people. The blessing will come when we attend the Lord's work. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then all these things shall be added unto you. Are we seeking the Lord? I'm going to ask you an important question. Do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you been coming to church, listening, being a hearer of the Word, but not being a doer of the Word? We started this series off with saying, you know, are we allowing seed just to fall on our hardened soil and not doing anything about it? As it says in Mark. Are we going to be receptive to what God wants us to do and continue to spread the gospel? I'm going to ask you a question. If you do not know Jesus Christ, will you come to know Him today? What are you waiting for? To step into a flame, into eternal darkness? Jesus Christ said, I came so that you might have life and have it abundantly. And I ask you this. If you do not know a time, a date, when you had a born-again experience, then make today your birthday. I don't preach a salvation message every week. I say the altar's open for you. But can I just tell you this? The last thing I want is to stand before God Almighty and to have to look over and see you not step into the kingdom of heaven. But to know that you kept rejecting Him, rejecting Him, rejecting Him because of pride in your life. What will people think? What will they do? I've been going there for a year. I don't care if you've been coming here for five years and you've never accepted Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I love you. 
But God loves you this much. He loves you so much He died for you. And I want to ask you to do an important, probably one of the the most important things you've ever done in your life. When I say and I make this comment, in America, there are seats that are empty. It is time to get back and sow seed. Bring people to church. Pick them up. Get out of bed. Tell them, I'll be down. I'll pick you up. Give them life. Give them Jesus. They need to hear the gospel message. They're not getting it at the local bar. They're not getting it at work. They may not be getting it in your living room. So let me help you help your loved ones and your friends and your family members and your neighbors know who Jesus Christ is. So today, I'm going to ask you if you know someone that is lost and does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In this room right now of 135 people, I want you to say, God, lay upon my heart today. You already told me that there's power in your word. Impress upon my heart. And I would like to come and stand in the gap. You can kneel. You can sit if you'd like. For that individual that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He went to the cross for you. Can you stand in the gap for your loved one that doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior? Now I'm going to make a promise to you. If they are in proximity, I can travel an hour. I can travel a couple hours. But I will go with you and I will present the gospel of Jesus Christ to your loved one. And if you say, and and I mean this with all sincerity, because I can say, this lady right here loves you this much that we travel this distance so that you would know Jesus Christ. We have fancy homes, fancy cars, fancy clothing, fancy hair, fancy jewelry. But if we don't have Jesus Christ, what is the most fancy thing that we can earthly get? We have nothing. We're broke, bankrupt. We're empty. If God has already pricked your heart this morning, and He has said to you, yes, I know who that person is, and maybe it's you, you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to stand right at this spot. And when you come and you stand in the gap for your loved one, and you pray for that individual that someone could cross their path and tell them, the altar is significant. We can all say there's somebody that we know that doesn't know Jesus Christ. If you can't give the message because it's difficult, because maybe you don't have maybe some of the tools or the knowledge or the information, you could do one of the greatest, I think, acts that anybody can. You could stand in the gap for your loved one. Let's stop playing church. Let's be the church. Let's let people know the importance of Jesus Christ. Let's have a fire and a passion for souls. And only God can do that for you. But you have to let Him, you have to ask Him, give me a burning desire. Let's all stand as we pray. Father, we come to You this morning. Lord, with our head bowed and our hands open, Lord, receptive 
Father, to what you would have for us. Lord, your word says that we should go forth weeping, bearing, carrying the precious seed. And Lord, you said in your word that if someone hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, it won't come back void, but it'll prosper. Lord, there are some today that have heard the message of Jesus Christ. Lord, you've pricked their heart. Lord, and I pray that today will be their day of salvation. You said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, we didn't come here by accident. We came here because this is our appointed time to worship you. God, help us. Give us the strength to present the gospel and to have a love for people that do not know who you are. God, have mercy on us. And Father, if there's somebody here today that don't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, may this be their defining moment, their turning point. Lord, encourage us today. Thank you that we can see the joy of our salvation. Father, we rejoice with shouts of joy. We're thankful that we have the great privilege of knowing who you are. That someone, even me at the age of nine, my mom showed me from your word how I can know Jesus Christ, how I got to know you. Thank you, Father. Bless your people in your name we pray. Amen.